Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. We are back. Major League Baseball is back. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. Just when you think things will quiet down for a hot second. Two big quarterback decisions. A college basketball Hall of Fame coach goes out on bottom. And the Los Angeles Lakers continue to find ways to disappoint us more and more. But we start with Major League Baseball. Something near and dear to our hearts. Something we've been having to dread to talk about for the last several shows, not knowing what the future is going to hold, not knowing when the lockout would end, not knowing when the owners and players association would figure things out late night meetings, no decisions, everybody going after each other in cryptic messages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, gloom and doom series being canceled. When will opening day come every day? Just more and more disasters. And yet on Thursday, Jeff Passan after having his Twitter account hacked finally gives us the announcement we've been waiting for quite simply baseball is back. And interestingly enough, when the dust finally settled on the rulings and the contracts and whatever else everybody had to agree on a lot of similar stuff that you've been touting and talking about. So there's excitement to that. There's some rule changes like no more pitchers stepping into a batter's box that might get other people excited too. What can you say about your excitement level and all the agreements that were finally reached after weeks of this back and forth? Well, Johnny, it is great to be back uh, along with baseball. And after much haranguing, painstaking months and weeks of lingering death, like pulling teeth, it wound up, quite frankly, as a fanatic of the game, pretty much where I'd hoped it would be. I think the agreement is fair and reasonable. I think the agreement took a lot of negotiations. I think the agreement wound up very much where I thought it was going to be. And from my perspective, quite frankly, my own self-centered, selfish, old-school perspective, I never liked March baseball. It's too cold. So the fact that we're going to get 162 games and they're going to start later than they usually do, but closer to when they used to, I'm cool with it. April 7th is just fine by me. Real life nine inning double headers to make up the games that supposedly were going to be canceled with the Major League Baseball and Commissioner's uh, bombshells of opening day canceled, first week canceled, et cetera, et cetera. All those by the boards, 162 games, some doubleheaders to make up those lost states. All cool by me. Start April 7th, lose a week of lousy weather in the East. Cool by me. Six playoff teams in each league. Cool by me. 
and basically the structure that AWP had given you, which was, uh, I believe it's going to be, the top two division winners with buys, the third division winner against the six, and four and five play each other. I don't know yet if that third division winner is going to get what I had thought would be the fair thing, which is all three games at home in the best of three series. Uh, that remains to be seen because I haven't seen the final scenario with respect to that. But you know, the one the one and done game is gone, which I'm cool with. Uh, you could have done the other structure with six against five for one game, and then five plays four and two and three. Uh, that way you protect all three division winners. But I like this. I like this. I think this is fair. I think this you know, keeps the heat on all division winners to try and play for that buy. So I'm happy with the new format. You know, on that aspect of it, the players got the number that I thought all along it was going to be, $230 million. I thought anybody would listen, that's where it's going to settle. And 245 that's right about where the increases went to, I think with the 244 um, or, or thereabouts, and they got the $50 million bonus pool for the young players. And the fight over the international draft has been tabled until uh, later in the year, and if the players are amenable to working out an international, league draft, you know, an international draft, then the draft pick compensation qualifying offer will go away next year. If they do not, it will stay in place. The owners get to keep their three years for arbitration, their six years for free agency. So this is an agreement where both sides gave. It's an agreement that is what these negotiations are about. It's just that it took far too long because they started way too late. And that's the frustrating part from the fan standpoint. Why did this go on so long? Because it always goes on so long. Because unless there are deadlines hanging over people's head, nobody wants to do it. The problem was it took forever to get to the bargaining table. And the lockouts would start it all. And instead of negotiating in good faith early on after the lockout, they waited and they waited and they waited. And back forth, back forth, they're so far apart. How can they possibly get together? They get together because they always get together. But they were mindful, finally, of needing a full season. They were mindful of what's going on around them, which is the National Football League and what's happening with the National Football League, with free agency in the National Football League. March Madness in college basketball, uh, NBA playoff races, they were going to lose to all of that if they didn't get their asses in gear and get the game on the field. And now that's where we are. We've got a free agent frenzy coming up, which is going to be unlike any other because we have major free agents, lots of them. We have middling free agents, tons of them who have to find homes and they have to find homes quick. So this next week, week and a half uh, from the baseball scenario in terms of free agent signings is going to be like the wild west. And most importantly, Five years of labor peace, an agreement that I think is fair and reasonable. And I think in the long run, uh, the guy who got it done most of all is Bruce Meyer, which we talked about, uh, representing the players this time around. They made great inroads for the younger players uh, in terms of you know, the increased salary, minimum salary up to 700000 which I thought was the magic number, and it got there. For the bonus pool uh, of $50 million for young players – who are not yet eligible for arbitration uh, to get bonus money based upon their performance. So they were worried about tanking. They got the draft lottery, uh, which helps eliminate that because you can't get the first pick every year. uh, If you go in the tank and and, lose your 110 games, 
so there was a lot accomplished for the players and the owners, I think, realized uh, grudgingly that they had to give some ground, but they did not give ground in the two areas that they most did not want to give ground, which is free agency and arbitration. So as I said, this is an agreement that I think is workable. I think it's an agreement that's in the best interest of the game. I think it helps the game. I think it helps everybody on all fronts. And most importantly, the fans are going to have a 162-game season with lots of action. Uh, Everybody out there, everybody rolling, everybody trying. And two more teams in each league able to make the playoffs, expanded playoffs. Grudgingly, the one drawback is, of course, I now have to live with the DH in the National League. No more double switches. Uh, It's something that I knew was coming. But you know, just like winter, you never want it to get here. <laughs> uh, but it's here to stay. It, the National League was the only place in baseball that didn't have the DH. And uh, if, if that's the necessary evil to get this on the field, I'm just going to have to grin and bear it. It was a happy day for the fans. And I mean, no kidding, just getting the sport back after just every day, the negatives of hours upon hours of this reporting and not deals coming through and some guy in a parking lot seemingly with a binder walking from like one trailer to the next going over to the owners with the proposal coming out after the owners say no walking over to the other side of the parking lot opening that trailer door what do you players think about this no back and forth back and forth poor bob nightingale reporting into three four in the morning jeff passing doing the same long nights mountain dews and nothing getting resolved and you just start wanting to point fingers well whose fault is it at this point is it the owners holding this up is it the players holding this up who are we blaming because of course that's the first thing we want to do as fans and as people who is to blame for this well of course it's easy to blame rob manfred because fuck him in general coming to these press conferences with a smile on his face oh we're trying to figure it out tee hee hee all of a sudden rob manfred is having press conferences we didn't hear from him for a damn year and he's getting up there going well you know we've never had to suspend the season before or have games suspended dude You didn't play half the season because of COVID. You played 60 games. You forgot about that already? Who's writing your scripts? Get new PR people to put in front of you what you think people are going to want to hear you say while you smile through a press conference. So you don't want Rob Manfred getting up there to be the face of this whole thing because it's only going to piss us fans off more. But then finally, resolutions. And finally, resolutions where you can look at them and say, okay, We can live with that. Like for the postseason, basically from what I've seen, it's just going to be a straight bracket, just a little bit bigger this time. So number one and number two are getting at buys, which will at least give the argument that that's what teams need to strive for. Still win the division. Don't putz around. Play as hard as you can for all 162 so you can get that buy because God knows what's going to happen. I'm glad, as you mentioned, They're moving that to the three games. We're not getting that one and done nonsense or the 163rd game nonsense where you play an entire season and then one game decides whether or not you're going to move on. Doesn't make any sense at all. So that's nice that that's eradicated Four will play five to play the top seed three will play six to play the second seed. The owners will be happy because they get more playoff money and the wheels continue to spin for major league. And baseball. You're going to pretty much eliminate that scenario of last year you know, with the Dodgers and the giants playing each other with two best records, uh, arguably two best t- teams in the league 
playing each other in the first round in a two out of three. So, you know, that's going to be pretty much gone. I suppose there's always the remote possibility of that, but I, you know, I, I don't know how, <laughs> quite frankly, without sitting down and analyzing it. But you know, the point is, uh, it's these things take time. And everybody gets impatient, everybody starts stomping, and everybody starts, you know, it's never going to get done. Why is it taking so long? These are major negotiations. These are business agreements that have to be hammered out and argued over and negotiated over and compromised over. And then you have to go back to your players. You have to go back to your members. You have to go back to your owners. And the players stood strong. To their credit, the players did not back down when the owners gave them ultimatums about, you know, we're going to cancel games or you're not going to get full salaries. The players did not buckle. And then when they were confronted with the international draft, again, coupling that, and I don't know, depending on what you read or hear or who you listen to, if that was there all along or if the last minute they hinged that and hooked that up to the condition for eliminating the free agent or the uh, draft compensation for uh, the free agents who you give a qualifying offer to, who turn it down. Uh, was that something done at the last minute to try and create a wedge between the members of the union who are of uh, you know, the Hispanic slash Latino members who for long, long, long periods of time have been dead set against the international draft? And remember, that makes out about a, a, a third of the player population are Latino and slash Hispanic. And was that done as a last-minute attempt to drive a wedge between the, the union? Don't know. Wouldn't put it past the owners. But the players, instead of buckling, went back and, and gave a compromise offer, which was, you know, we will look at it until November. Give us until then and analyze it and break it down, which is important because I think there are positive elements for international draft, but there are also elements of it that are disadvantageous to the foreign players because of uh, you don't have the ability to negotiate with every team. Uh, obviously, only the one that drafts you. And at an older age, uh, and I, I, I don't, where some of these kids get you know, these side deals at 12, 13, 14 years of age based upon their coach slash agent slash attorneys, whatever you want to call them. And they say there's a massive opportunity for abuse. So the league is trying to limit that. So there are good aspects of it. But the players said, give us time to look at it. And if we can get a handle on it in November, We'll have the international draft, and that will allow for the unfettered free agents, no qualifying offer, no free agent, uh, or excuse me, no draft pick compensation. And if we can't get a handle on it, then we'll go back to the compensation next year. And the owners didn't even consider it. And that's what bro everything broke down. Got back right at it today, and rumor had it, at least that I had heard, that Manfred told the owners that, that they should accept that. And... I don't know if there was ever a vote on that or not, but they came to the ultimate resolution of July. And if it's in place by July, the draft pick compensation will go away next year. And if it is not, it will stay in place. So that was a compromise. And that's the way it works. That's the way, that's the way business works. It's just that, you know, it's not a garbage strike. Everything is an emergency because you need those services now. It became an emergency at this stage, because we need baseball now. We don't need baseball in the winter. We don't need baseball in November uh, when the season's over or December, January, February, March. Okay. 
we need baseball this year now. And when did the agreement finally come into place? Now, when they both knew that there was a mammoth threat of finally games being lost, money being lost, and fan interest being lost. Because if they did not hammer this out, the fans were wavering first player side, then moving more towards the owner's side as the owners moved and kept telling the public that they were moving because the owners, as you were doing most of the talking in terms of, because they have the one voice of the commissioner, even though they have 30 varying interests, uh, which were very tough to get together. And the commissioner was doing all the talking, telling about how they kept making a fair offer that was repeatedly turned down. Now they're disappointed they were. And starting to turn the tables against the players. The players remained unified. The players were very quiet occasionally. A pronouncement from a particular player, notably Max Million Dollar Man, multi-million dollar man Scherzer. But the point is you did not hear a lot of chatter and a lot of press conferences from Bruce Meyer or Tony Clark. Uh, a paragraph here, a paragraph there. Most of the talking was done by Manfred, uh, who is, puts his foot in his mouth as usual. But at the end of the day, a fair and reasonable agreement. Bruce Meyer did an amazing job for the players in getting them things that they were not even close to having uh, in, in prior agreements. And now this builds for the future to get more in terms of you know, the numbers, uh, the further redistribution of the wealth. Because uh, you know, Major League Baseball salaries uh, are the lowest minimum salaries that four major sports. So while revenue grew, the average salary with inflation actually went down. So again, I think the players, the reps, Tony Clark, who got crushed the last couple of agreements uh, with Bruce Meyer at the helm, made a lot of positive gains uh, that will build towards a better game and a better economic system in years to come. And this was you know, a good base to, to start at and get the system back into some semblance of fairness, fair, fairness between the players and the owners. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now, nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League and two Indeed. bombshells to start the week. The first coming when Aaron Rodgers announced, well, I should say others announced on Aaron Rodgers' behalf that he is staying with the Green Bay Packers, a four-year deal supposedly worth $200 million dollars, in the typical sentences of making him the highest paid player in NFL history, blah, 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 which happens now whenever a quarterback signs their contract, they always become the highest this, that, and the other thing. Well, a little bit later, it comes out from him on social media that those numbers aren't true, hold your horses, but I'm coming back to Green Bay. So at the time, it was the typical narrative that has been built around Aaron Rodgers of look at me, pay attention to me, I've finally decided my future, basically dragging us through the coils for all these months of will he, won't he, blah, 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 finally just comes down to, yeah, I'm coming back with Green Bay. Let's run it back. How simple it could have been, how complicated it ended up being, 
and then still had to be even more complicated after the original report came out. No, those aren't the numbers, but this will be figured out, etc. The Packers also franchise tag Devontae Adams because of that, so the best parts of their offense will return. The only trouble for Aaron Rodgers in wanting the day's attention was that it was quickly swooped away to my Denver Broncos. Where the trend of just waiting around, dealing with awful seasons, comes to a close when they just decide to go out and bring in a future Hall of Fame quarterback. First Peyton Manning, we have some terrible seasons. Now, one Russell Wilson. Quickly announced after the Aaron Rodgers decision. I originally thought that was why, but apparently this has been in negotiations for weeks. Weeks, supposedly. Weeks. Supposedly weeks. I figured it was just that day, as soon as Aaron Rodgers made his decision, they sent the text to Seattle, you up? What can we do? And they said going on for weeks. Trading enough things. One Drew Locke. One Shelby Harris. One Noah Fant. That's it? On the offense and the defense? We're sure? Okay. What else? Two first rounders in twenty twenty two, the ninth pick overall. And then in twenty twenty three, that first round pick. Two second round picks. One this upcoming, the 40th, and then in 2023. And a fifth-round selection in 2022. And a fourth-round selection in 2022. Okay. Is there more on the paper? Flip it to the back? No, nothing on the back? All right. (laughs) Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. As a fan of the team, and I screamed about this to you for seemingly now years, that if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win football games and you're not going to find success in the National Football League. The league has made that abundantly clear. You need somebody that can throw a spiral. And for whatever reason in this world, there just aren't 32 people that can. When you can find the persons that can, hold on to them as tightly as you possibly can. Things obviously in Seattle haven't gone very well over the past couple of seasons. Last one in particular for Russell Wilson lowest wins of his career, etc. We know the long list of things. And Seattle seemingly just had to decide to blow the whole thing up and hope to start anew. The Legion of Boom is gone. Russell Wilson is gone. That whole Super Bowl is gone. And now the Denver Broncos have their quarterback. I thought, in a sense, they even got off easy. You would think bringing in a quarterback like that, you're at least getting three first round picks. And God only knows after that, when the reports started coming out of what it was and then who was leaving player wise, keeping all the offense, keeping just about all the defense. Now they still have holes that they had before this happened. And of course, Nick Wright will be the first to remind you that the Denver Broncos are still just the third best team in the AFC West at best. Yeah. Yeah. That may be, but that doesn't mean you don't make the deal. Ah, We're only going to move from the doldrums of not even making the postseason to potentially doing so without having to worry about it. But we shouldn't make the trade because we won't be the best team in the AFC West. It's just preposterous. All right. So if they're still their third best, what's wrong with that? I couldn't be happier. 
to finally have a quarterback. I know everything that goes into it. He was injured last year. All the numbers were against him, et cetera, et cetera. If Russell Wilson at 32 years old can find that magic again and just be who he's been and they can get him an offensive line and he has the weapons that they already have on offense, you can't help but feel optimistic. It was no Peyton Manning feeling. You could chase that the rest of your life and never find it again. But it was pretty close. It was pretty close. I don't know the drug reference to make as to (laughs) what feels the best and then what feels close to it. But if you're a Broncos fan, it it was great news. And now you can start looking to move forward with the other things that you have to deal with. But George Patton basically walked into John Elway's office, placed his balls upon his desk and said, this is what you should have did 10 years ago when you passed on Russell Wilson in the draft the first time and decided to sign Brock Osweiler. You fool. The angular one. So we had to give up a couple first rounders, a couple third rounders, fifth, fourth, a couple players to make two first rounders, two, two second rounders. In the next two years, a really good young tight end, pretty good lineman, uh, and you get a quarterback who is, you know, probability bound for the Hall of Fame. Uh, the second half or last third of his career ahead of him, relatively healthy, relatively sound, not coming off his best couple of years, but still in in, in his prime. Um, it's an intriguing trade because. Denver to the Super Bowl is not my cup of tea. Uh, I don't think this in any way, shape, or form makes them, you know, a Super Bowl contender. They are now legitimate postseason contender. I still think they have things that have to be solved. I think their receiving core is not what everybody thinks it is. I like Cortland Sutton. Uh, Sutton. Uh, I think Jerry Judy has a lot of work to do. I think he's been very underwhelming so far. The kid from Penn State can fly, but he's not on the field very much. And I love Williams. Uh, If I was Seattle, I would have held out for him. Maybe they tried to. I don't know. I think he has a chance to be in the day and age where we don't have the quote-unquote franchise running back, but we more have the running back you like to be able to do a lot of things in terms of being a three-down back, run with it, catch it. Uh, pick up the blitz. I think Williams has a chance to be one of those guys, and I think he's going to be a key cog for them in the future. So I would have tried very hard for Seattle to get him. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I still think Seattle made out well. I don't think they did great. Supposedly Washington put an offer on the table with three number ones, and Seattle passed on that. At least that's what you read, whether or not that's the case, whether or not they chose to take Seattle's, excuse me, uh, Denver's offer to get him out of the conference. Don't know. But I think Seattle got a decent return. And now the question is, what do they do? Do they seek to build through the draft or do they flip those picks and look for a quarterback? Do they wait to see what happens? Hopefully something quick in Houston and gamble that Deshaun Watson will be eligible to play this year and try and flip those picks for Deshaun Watson. Do they make a smaller move for Jimmy Garofalo? Do they simply go through the draft? Uh, remains to be seen. 
but obviously they need a quarterback because I don't think uh, the kid they got from Denver, your guy from Missouri, is uh, the quarterback of the future in Seattle. No, maybe for maybe for the time being, but that only puts him in the same place he was in uh, in Denver, keeping the seat warm for whomever the starter is eventually going to be. Uh, it's not a great quarterback class, as we know. So, who is out there that strikes your fancy uh, that you could strike a trade for? And obviously, Deshaun Watson is the first name that comes to mind because he would be number one on you know the list in terms of quality quarterbacks uh, that are, if you want to say, available. Because we really don't know what he is right now. He's still in limbo. Is he available? To play, we don't know. Is he available if you make Houston the right offer? We don't know. Deshaun Watson is the wild card in the National Football League this year, as we're going to find out shortly if he's going to be indicted and if these cases are going to settle. I think if he's not going to be indicted, there'll probably be some disciplinary action from the league, and then eventually he'll be eligible to play. If he's indicted, then it could be all bets are off for quite a while for Deshaun Watson. We'll see. But it's going to be very interesting what Seattle does with this cachet of draft picks. Because as you said, you have to have a quarterback in this league. You cannot compete in a long-term basis. You can have that one year, you know, where you know, the magic dust all goes the right, everything falls the right way for you, and the, the magic dust is sprinkled, and you can make your way into the playoffs and go a little magic carpet ride. But in the long term, you cannot be a successful franchise in the National Football League, a perennial playoff contender and competitor without a long-term quality quarterback running your offense and basically running your team. Seattle does not have that now. They have that for Russell. Russell was for years, and now they're starting over uh, from the quarterback standpoint. So it's going to be very interesting to see which route they take. Denver steps right into the fray, uh, makes it the toughest division in the National Football League, a division loaded with quarterbacks, four of them. And the missing link to where they were, a lot of talent in other places. Like I said, I still don't think a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but absolutely positively a playoff contender. Uh, They would be a playoff favorite if not for the division. If they're in the South, they're probably co-favorite to win the division, if not the favorite to win the division. If they're in the East, they are uh, certainly – a more of a wildcard contender. And if they're in the central, they're a wildcard contender and division contender, but in the West, they're just a contender. But Kansas City, the Chargers, the Raiders. Being a contender is, is a lot better than what lot, they've been. A lot better than they were, and they now have whether he's the second or whether he's the third best quarterback in the division doesn't really matter. The point is he's a competitive quarterback in the national football league. He's a top 10 quarterback in the national football league. It just so happens he's in a division that has maybe three of the other top 10 quarterbacks in the national football league. But the bottom line is the Broncos are now there to compete because they've got the missing link of their franchise. They've got what they desperately needed. They've got what they didn't have a big time NFL quarterback. 
it was interesting that having a no trade clause, Russell Wilson was fine with coming to the AFC West. That's something we talked about when the Aaron Rodgers rumors first started of him potentially landing in Denver. Why would you put yourself through the AFC West and the AFC gauntlet when you're guaranteed a spot in the postseason every year in the NFC North? He sided with the Green Bay Packers, obviously, but supposedly these two things weren't connected. They were just going after Russell Wilson in general, and this Aaron Rodgers thing wasn't a thing, supposedly. Russell Wilson coming off an injured season. His thumb was hurt. He still wanted to play. Supposedly Seattle people in the locker room said he was checked out at some point in the middle toward the end of the season when it was over with, but he still wanted to play. Whatever the case may be, get a little healed up. We know he's going to say all the right things. It's going to be interesting to see what nickname he picks for the Go Hawks. Now it'll be Go Bronx. Is that a thing? Go Coes. I guess he'll make that up. Von Miller has been sending out cryptic Instagram and Twitter posts basically saying that he wants to come back to the Broncos. Part of me wants him to come back just so he could throw his annual Halloween party and we could see what Russ and Ciara would show up to for that party. The costume would be out of this world. I can tell you that right now. But there's so much optimism that hasn't been with the team since they got rid of Peyton Manning. 11 quarterbacks since his departure, which is the most in the National Football League, tied with, of course, the Washington now commanders, who, interestingly enough, decided that their answer to the quarterback problem they've had is Carson Wentz on the move once more from the Colts who have also had five different starting quarterbacks in five seasons. And Frank Reich still makes them look okay somehow. So quarterback movement abound, but obviously those two names took the thunder giving, I guess, optimism to the Packers. I mean, as I tweeted, as we've said on the show, you're guaranteed four more years of postseason births, but you're also guaranteed four more years of losing before the Super Bowl. So well, don't we don't know. That, we don't know that that's that. the fact. Yeah, that's okay. what it leans toward. We don't know that that's the fact. <laughs> when you finish first in the conference uh, every year, it there's a like. chance you're going to look. It's hard to get to Super Bowl. It's hard to get to Super Bowl. But again, uh, the competition in the NFC is lessening. Tom Brady is gone from Tampa. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, Dallas has got real issues in terms of the cap. They're ever disappointing with their incredibly overrated quarterback in a division that stinks. Although Philly is getting better and has a chance to have a huge draft. The commanders have added a $28 million quarterback who plays like a $28 quarterback. The South is a train wreck with the exception of the Bucs, who, as I said, are quarterbackless. Saints don't have one. Falcons have an aging Matt Ryan. They stink. And Carolina, uh, hello, uh, who knows? Who knows that they've got Christian McCaffrey on the block? So who knows there? Minnesota, I still think, is a sleeper in the NFC. Uh, rest of the division, what do we say about the Bears? What do we say about Detroit? Rebuilding. And then, of course, you have the West. Defending champions, Cardinals with a quarterback who can't tell if he wants to be on his team's what do you call that thing? Instagram? Yes. Uh, yes. Got that right. How about that? And then you have the Niners who you know are relying on Stu Lance. Or are they going to bring back Jimmy Garofalo? Who knows? I call him Stu Lance. I know, folks, that's not his name, but I'll call him Stu Lance until he's deserving of being called Trey Lance. Uh, 
and then you have the Seahawks. So the NFC from 10,000 feet looks like a two-team conference. It looks like the Rams and the Packers. Now other teams will jump out and they'll say, oh, well, we did. You look at the season they're having. They're now a contender in the NFC. Are they a pretender? Or look at what they've done. And But when the season starts, you know, looking at experience, looking at rosters, looking at quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. There's two legitimate top 10 quarterbacks in the NFC, and they are Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. So Aaron Rodgers staying was a no-brainer, not just because of the move to the AFC, you know, why would you make that move to create all that competition? But where you are, you're good where you are. The team you're on is good, unlike Seattle. Russell Wilson wanted out of Seattle. He saw it going the wrong direction. Nothing's going the wrong direction in Green Bay. They've got cap issues. They're working on them. They'll always find a way. They always do. They draft well. They franchise their top receiver. They've got two good running backs. They're solid on both sides of the ball. And they got one of the two or three best quarterbacks in football. Good young coach. Great fan base. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Why would you leave? Answer's simple. He's not. Right. He's not. And, you know, we can have fun ragging on Packers fans for the joke of this is nice, but you're not going to win a Super Bowl. But also, you can't look fans or yourself in the eye and say, well, we could have re-signed Aaron Rodgers, but we decided to let him go. We're going to ride with Jordan Love. Right. You'd be a fool. You have to bring him back. Remember, you want to laugh at Packer fans? You got to be in it to win it. Yeah. And when you're going 13 and and 4 or 12 and 5, you're in it. Or 11 and 6, you're in it. And they're going to be in it. It's the same thing for Broncos fans. Like, oh, you think Aaron Rodgers is an asshole for what he says. That doesn't mean you wouldn't want him as a quarterback. No, of course I would. Because you're going to get in the dance. They even sniffed it since Peyton Manning left. You'd be a fool to stick your nose up at that. Somebody that could throw a football in the league? Of course you bring him in. Now, you wouldn't enjoy hearing him talk, but that's okay. Just go out on Sundays and win football games. And we'll mute the TV when you're blabbering your nonsense. It's going to be the same thing with Russell Wilson. Blabbering a lot of nonsense. It's just a little bit more positive coming out of his mouth. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and watch. Just mute the TV. Win on Sundays. doesn't make a difference what you're saying in between those games. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now, the last thing, what I thought we were going to lead the show off with, us being college basketball fans, by the way, now in the most exciting time of the year for the sport. Thankfully, people Conference are starting to watch. Conference tournaments have been terrific. Conference Upsets galore. Incredibly exciting. Not only in the top 25, but these buzzer beaters in the tournaments where you only get one bid. You need to win your conference tournament. Win, get in. There's been thrilling finishes to that. Heartbreak already. And some upsets in the major conferences as well. Some will have ramifications for the brackets, which will be something we get into next week where everybody's ranked and what that all will look like. But we had a interesting, memorable game on Saturday 
one that will certainly be remembered, one that was built up for weeks to just months, months to let everyone know this is Coach K's last year. This will be when his last game is. College game day out there, days beforehand, promoting the hell out of this thing. Coach K, North Carolina, the return of the alum, 90-something close to former players showing up in their white fleece. Very nice looking. Three-quarter pull zip. I'd take one of those. Put me down. 3X. There's so many layers of the onion to peel back, and one of the first ones that's humorous is that as much as this game was built up, Kansas and Texas is the game leading into Duke, North Carolina. And you could just sense that it's going to go a little bit too long. Even with them pushing the game back to 620 Eastern time, it goes into overtime. And instead of ESPN flipping the game over to the Deuce or ESPN News or wherever else, they stick with the game, split screen it, and they show Coach K come out in the Cameron for the last time muted and keep having to tease, we'll get to this game eventually. What the hell are you doing? Now, ESPN can't schedule a slate of college basketball games to save their life. When you're watching, waiting for your game that you want to watch to come on, the little ticker in the bottom shows you, this game is starting on ESPN News or the app. Because all the college basketball games run long and they never learn their lesson to schedule programming a little bit differently. So they rush and roulette this Kansas-Texas game thinking it'll be over and they'll have enough buffer time with the 20 minutes to get over to Cameron and it goes into overtime. Secondly, the pomp and circumstance, bringing out all the former players, having a little ceremony at the beginning of the game. As a Duke fan, it was nice. It's nice to give Coach K's due. As a college basketball fan, it's nice. You know, there's people that have hated this goodbye tour, which I don't think has been that much of a deal unless you've been watching the Duke games. And even if you have, teams really aren't rolling out the red carpet for this guy. They might have a quick thing before the game, but they don't even show it on TV because time is so short with these game schedules that they don't have the buffer time to be able to show us, oh, Jeff Cable gave him a memorial trophy and Tony Bennett gave a speech. Nobody sees it. You only see it on social media. So for anybody in an uproar that this is a goodbye tour that's undeserved is a fool. And anybody in an uproar that there shouldn't be a goodbye tour is a fool. If your favorite player or your favorite coach that's been with your team for the entirety of their career wants to retire and lets it be known, wouldn't you as a fan be thankful that they did so? Like for Kobe's last year, it was, this is it. I got to try to get to a game, see him play one last time. Derek Jeter's last year. This is it. Let me try to get to a game so I could see him play one last time. If you don't, you think in the back of your mind, like, eh, I should get to a game this year, but there's always next year. And then in the offseason, if they decide to retire, well, you missed your chance. That's it. So for North Carolina fans, they think that they're high and mighty because Dean Smith and Roy Williams both retired not in the regular season. Dean Smith just decided before the season, eh, I'm good. Nobody and goes to watch a guy coach. You get your pictures enough, on your en- phone, en- Al. En- take your phone, out. take a picture of the en- coach. En- enough already. Enough. You're not taking pictures of Jim Beheim when you're going to the Q's games? Enough Jim, already. This way, turn. Just go. You put an enormous amount of pressure on your team with his bullshit, with his farewell tour. They go out and they win the ACC with a bunch of young guys. Then this dog and pony show 
for your last home game where they bring back everybody in their little, you know, uh, their little special seating area in your bandbox of a fucking gym that holds 18 people, all right, where you never lose, and your arch rival comes in and kicks your fucking ass. They kick your ass. Your team plays good and you still lose. And then after the game, you tell everybody to shut up and say, you want to apologize because it's unacceptable. What's unacceptable? What are you telling your kids? Instead of complimenting your team, all you got to do is say, you know, hey, look, we got beat today. I'm sorry we lost. I want to thank everybody for coming out. This has been amazing. But what I really want you to do is thank these kids. Because they have been playing with an enormous amount of pressure this year because of this goodbye tour of mine. And they went out and they won the ACC. And we got beat today. But it wasn't because they didn't give you effort. So I think right now you should applaud them. But no, not this horse's ass. Not this selfish douchebag. All right? What happened today was unacceptable. Let me throw my kids who are sitting right there under the bus. What a douche. You're nothing without them. Nothing. Go coach a bunch of stiffs. All right. Go co- go 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 coach a bunch of you know division three guys. Go coach a bunch of two star players. See how many fucking games you win. All right, Mister Army guy. All right. Are you fucking kidding me? You absolutely. I, I mean, you belligerent, ungrateful bastard. What a douche. A total and complete douchebag. Those kids felt horrible because they lost that game. And then you sit there and say, it's unacceptable. The season was acceptable. You know, this, you know, gee, thanks, coach. We won the ACC. I guess the season was acceptable. You know, thanks for not totally kicking us in the teeth. Take a flying screw to the moon, you ugly douchebag. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I lost all respect for him. Right? He berates officials nonstop. All right? He gets every call in the book. Every year he plays you know, the Duke Invitational somewhere in the Northeast. You know, whether it's the Carolina or, or the Meadowlands, get lost already. You almost lost to Syracuse, for Christ's sakes, with their best players suspended for a gut punch. So, you know, no love lost here. The farewell tour, I can't wait till it's finally farewell. All right? Because you can't leave soon enough. Now, there was from the Syracuse alum and longtime Orange fan. That's from 10,000 feet. That's totally objective. Everybody's sick of Coach K. They're sick of, and absolutely right. Roy Williams didn't take a victory tour. All right. Dean Smith didn't take a victory tour. But this guy, it's going to be my last year. Let's have the farewell tour. Dude, you're not a player. You're a fucking coach. Nobody pays to watch you coach. Well, let me run to a game. So I I see Coach K on the sidelines. That big, ugly fucking nose is. All right. No, I, I I don't need to go to a game to see him coach. No farewell tour necessary, but big announcement necessary. It's time to go. You go. Instead, you put all this pressure on your players. They have a terrific season. And then when they don't win your last game against your arch rival at home, you hang them out to dry. What a douche. Now, from the Duke fan perspective, fuck them kids. They should be ashamed of themselves. Getting their ass beat in the second half. Then during the ceremony, they got the gall to be laughing and having a good ass time. Have some damn respect right. for and your then coach. There's your, then there's your, your classless Duke alum staff not shaking hands going through the line. Good. That, 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 that's for good. Class. How's that's it feel? Class. You don't want to respect beep. Coach K before the game? You don't want to respect him at your place? 
You scumbags, you can't put the rivalry aside for a hot second. Don't shake their fucking hand. We'll see you next be bigger, year. Be bigger douchebags. Okay. And that's why everybody hates fucking Duke. Well, they should hate both. There's no two bigger douchebags and two more fan bases that can't take criticism. They can give it out, but they can't take it. North Carolina everybody, and Duke fans are one and the same. Everybody hates Duke, and their reasons are sound. Plain and simple. They think they're holier than thou. They think they're better than everybody. They ain't better than nobody. Getting their ass beat in the second half. The only people that could have won that game were sitting in the stands. These kids yeah, don't they, know. And the kids they, in the stands crying in their Sesame Street costumes. What have you been, Duke fans for 20 minutes? You camped out for eight weeks to come watch the team get their ass kicked? Serves you right. You don't know anything about the team. You're studying those stupid cards so you could fill out those tests on the gymnasium floor so you could tell all your friends you got to go to the game. In tears, Al. Coach K deserves this tour. Couldn't happen, couldn't happen to a bigger bunch of douchebags fan base and a horse's ass of a coach. And he deserves the end result. This Duke team deserves to have lost this game because while he was carrying on this tour, and supposedly the rumors were that the couple days leading into the game on Saturday, they weren't even fucking practicing. He wasn't even around for practice because he was busy doing these fucking interviews and stories and features, and they're not practicing getting ready for UNC, probably thinking we whooped their ass at their place. We'll be fine. We'll beat them this time around. So why don't you apologize for not doing your job? Why don't you apologize for not coaching them up? It's the last game of the season, and you haven't coached your team to figure out whose role is what. Nobody knows what they're doing, and it's the last game of the season. You're coaching for 42 years. Tell these kids their role, ingrain it into their bodies, and have them figure out how to play basketball. Farewell. Hopefully it's another stunning upset in the NCAA tourney second round. We'll give him a first round when it's a two, th- two or three seed and then out. Can't wait to get rid of him. Can't wait till he's gone. Sick and tired of him. Goodbye. Good riddance. All right, sign out. What he did Saturday night, I lost all respect for him. All respect for him. All the cachet he earned from me over the years was gone when he hung his team out to dry. Absolutely. That's what was unacceptable. Showed no class. In the moment where you most needed some, he showed none. I loved it. Win the game. And I also loved, they have this ceremony planned for after the game, thinking that they'll win, and then they don't. And they make him come back out and have to give a speech and have other people present him with gifts. Here's a bench. Here's a scholarship. And you could just see seething because they lost the game. Exactly. The contrast between, as a Duke fan, like looking in the stands when they're panning those players to the team that they actually have, it just shows you the change of the times where these freshmen, what do they care about the magnitude of this moment? Honoring a coach for four decades, the banners in the stands, et cetera. Of course, they're going to be laughing, carrying on, having a good time in the ceremony afterward. What the fuck do they care about, Coach K? They're not four-year guys. They're not ingrained into the Duke brotherhood and all that pomp and circumstance. That's what he's, that's, that's what he's recruiting. They're so, looking to play basketball and get to the league. And it's nice to have all this stuff, of course, but it's not the only reason they're there. Those guys in the stands, that was their reason. Duke, for coming to Duke. Playing for Coach K was the reason they came to Duke. These dudes are just trying to get to the league. And it's nice to have all this other stuff going along with them. For North Carolina fans and for college basketball fans in general, though, 
great day. It was a great day. It, it was a great night. It is a top three day. I'd argue in the rivalry, this is the best win that North Carolina fans will ever have in the regular season. The, well, the build-up to the game, the ceremonies beforehand, everybody talking about it all week long. Then to go in a half trailing, and you think, okay, the same is going to happen after we got blown out at home. And then to just completely run their ass out of their own gym and get to watch the coach and players have to come out after the game and talk more. I yeah, mean, that's I bragging rights could, for the rest of your life. You could make that argument because of the circumstance. Not to do anything with the teams because, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good Carolina team and it's, it's a, a better Duke team. It's not a great Duke team. And it's not some downtrodden Carolina team. So it's not some huge upset. Uh, but it's an upset, number one. And number two, obviously, or I should say it's an upset, number two. And number one, with all the pomp and circumstance and all the publicity and all the cameras and all the buildup to go in there and beat him with a hand right home was absolutely a thing of beauty for Hubert Davis and his staff that would be commended. They outcoached the Duke staff and the Flyboys, which was in their goofy outfits, uh, which was just a thing of beauty. It was a day to make America proud. It was a day for college fans of NCAA NCAA basketball everywhere who root for the right things, which is fair play, uh, honesty, integrity, and Duke to lose. And that's what Saturday night was all about. As Carolina fans and alum have long said, if this guy's not a Tar Heel fan, then how come this guy's Carolina blue? It was a tough one. I will say, though, UNC plus 11, one of the easiest bets in sports history. But overall, I'm happy with the tour. I think he deserves his flowers, and it's a shame more people aren't giving them to him. You fools. Respect it. You'll miss it. You'll miss the hate. Nobody's going to miss You'll miss the hate. There's not a lot of hate in college basketball. Nobody's the coaches are out there that you hate. Not many. You missed the hate. But for us, it's exciting that next week we'll get to talk about it. People are will be interested in it. College basketball back at the forefront. Of course, it doesn't take much to take away their thunder like Major League Baseball did, like the National Football League did. But Marge is here, which means the madness is upon us, and we'll break all that down next week as well as whatever other National Football League news comes out because they can't be outdone. And I'm assuming we'll have a lot of free agency comings and goings in Major League Baseball. So an exciting time, to say the least, when we just thought it would be college basketball. Nay, nay. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Free agent frenzy is coming, folks. Uh, former part of the great John Tanyolanda, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>